Well, hello, everybody. Good morning. You know, I read a little uh, funny little blurb this past week about uh, volunteering, and uh, it said basically that uh, the, this church was going to start a new program, and so uh, everybody that came late, uh, that they would be automatically signed up to do the children's ministry. So not that we're going to do that, but uh, I just wanted to to put that out there for you. So let me get situated here. And for those of you that are watching online, uh, good morning. Glad that you could be uh, with us here. It's been kind of an interesting week. Uh, a lot of things going on. And so uh, there's a lot of going on here uh, in the book of Revelation that we're going to join into. If this is your first Sunday and you are new, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the family pastor here uh, at Linworth, if we haven't met. And we are in our third week in our series, Jesus in Revelation. And we're exploring the seven churches that Jesus wrote letters to that he addresses there. And as Pastor Chris explained this past week, they are collectively a picture of the body of Christ, and, and there are messages for the entire church, both back then and now. And so as we read and we study these letters, we should realize that um, we're not much different than they are, than our ancestors of thousands of years ago. In so many ways, human nature has stayed the same. And in so many ways, we can fall into the same patterns and the same actions and the same response to things that come into our lives. And because we are so similar in so many ways, uh, Jesus uh, has a message not just for those seven churches, but he has a message for us too. And so I want to encourage you to, to pay attention. You might find a little of yourself in one of these letters. Maybe you'll find a little of yourself in each of the letters as we walk through them. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to, uh, to encourage you, to speak to you, to be a learner, to be a listener, because none of us are above the possibilities of what Jesus talked to these seven churches about. Remember the admonition in the beginning of uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3? It said this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Let's go ahead and jump right in. And so this is the, the, the second church of the seven churches. And uh, why don't you go ahead and stand? We're going to read... Chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. It's a short little letter to the church in Smyrna. So, 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, what a challenging letter. I can't imagine just receiving this as a church. And, you know, what if you sent that letter to us here at Linworth? How would we respond? Father, I know that uh, you have a message for us this morning. Your word does not return void. It speaks into all generations in all times. May we hear your voice this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat. You know, can I be honest here? I know I've asked that every once in a while. I was like, of course. I hope I'm honest here, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this message wrecked me. Um, it's been a little while since I've been in the book of Revelation and, uh, and dug deep into the letters here, the seven churches. 
And uh, this has drawn me, as, as you can imagine, to the, to the current suffering church and the things that are going on, and obviously, specifically, Afghanistan and our brothers and sisters there. What happened in Smyrna is happening every day to our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world. And I'm talking here in terms of being persecuted for their faith. Now, I recognize that Smyrna Church might be uh, a little more difficult for us to identify with the things that they're going through than some of the other churches in the letters. You know, we're not experiencing that type of persecution today in the Western American church. Uh, Some things, yes, there are some pangs, perhaps, yes, but it's nowhere near to the degree that this church was going through. And so, Um, I'm not dismissing our life circumstances. I'm not dismissing that some of us have lost loved ones and, 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 you know, maybe somebody has been diagnosed with cancer and things in our life uh, that are going on. But I'm talking about heavy and dangerous persecution just because you say that you are a Christian. And so this second of the seven letters to this first century church Uh, is Jesus's words to a church suffering for its faith. So let's continue. This is what we're going to do. First, we're going to take a look at the city itself, Smyrna, to get a little sense of what it was like, what was uh, going on there. And then we're going to see how Jesus described himself to the church. And then we're going to look at four different things that Jesus communicated to the church in Smyrna in order to help them overcome this terrible situation that they found themselves in. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and take a look at the city now. 95 AD, Izmir is, is, is now the name uh, of the city, which was Smyrna. And it was the, it's the only city of the seven uh, churches that are listed, or letters, that is still in existence today. You know, so Chris, last week, he had a picture, right, uh, of Ephesus, um, you know, back during that time. And I, I thought I just had to up him and show you a video. And so uh, there you go, Chris. Okay. <laughs> All right, so what do we know about the city? A few facts. Um, by the way, a true confession here. Uh, you know, when I, when I see the name Smyrna, when I first saw it, I think of Smirnoff. I, I, I don't know, that's me. As I said often, it's not a good thing to live in this head of mine. I'm glad that you're not there, okay? So that aside, though, uh, first off, as we just saw, um, it is the only one of the seven cities that's still in existence today. It's called uh, modern Izmir, and it's in western Turkey. That's crazy. It's crazy. The one persecuted the most is the one that is still around. It was about 35 miles north of the ancient city and church of Ephesus, which we talked about uh, last week. According to Barclay's commentary, Smyrna was a large, it was a beautiful, it was a very proud city. It regarded itself as the pride and glory of Asia. It was a center of learning and culture, and it was uh, proud of its standing in that part of the world. Uh, It has been said that Smyrna was an outstandingly beautiful city. It also was a rich city. Uh, Smyrna had a great trade, just like Ephesus. It was a city of wealth, and it was of commercial greatness. And then we also know from history that it was a city that was deeply committed to idolatry and to the worship of the Roman kingdom, the Roman emperor. For example, in 196 BC, Smyrna built the first temple to Dea Roma, the goddess of Rome, the spiritual symbol of the Roman Empire. In 23 AD, it won the privilege over 11 other cities to build the first temple of worship. Uh, the emperor to Emperor Tiberius Caesar. Uh, The Roman Emperor Domitian in 81 through 96 was the first to demand worship under the title of Lord from the people of the Roman Empire. It was under his reign, of course, that uh, John was sent to the island of Patmos. And to kind of give you a, a sense of how the church found themselves in hot water in this city here, uh, by the end of the first century, you know, Caesar worship became compulsory. And uh, I believe Chris alluded to this uh, last week, but once a year, the Roman citizen must burn a little pinch of incense, okay, on the altar of the godhead of Caesar. 
And so after he does that, then he's given a certificate of guarantee that he had performed his religious duty. And then so uh, that would make him safe for another year. And so all that the Christians had to do was to burn a pinch of incense, say, Caesar is Lord, receive their certificate, go away, and then worship uh, as they pleased, and they would not uh, be bothered. But that is precisely what the Christians would not do. Also, it's important to, to note here, uh, in each of these letters um, from Jesus, he had something to say against them. But of the seven churches, it's only Smyrna and Philadelphia, Jesus said nothing negative about them. There was only common commendation. There was only encouragement. There was only a promise of eternal life to the one who overcome. So with that, with that background here, let's look at how Jesus revealed himself to the church of Smyrna as he did for each of the seven churches. Um, so how did he describe himself to the church of Smyrna? Well, if you remember from the last, um, from last week, Jesus identified himself to each church in terms that were appropriate for whatever that they were they were going through. So they fit the personality of that church, and it fit the struggles that it, they were going through. And it's taken from the descriptions of Jesus in the first chapter of Revelation. So verse 8 says, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Uh, the first and the last, Jesus is speaking of his internal character. Uh, the first and the last are titles that belong only to the Lord Yahweh, to God himself, according to Isaiah 41 and Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 48. And if you remember, and you can go back a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Nick did a wonderful job of working through the description of showing uh, the deity of Jesus, that he was indeed uh, God. And then it says, who died and came to life. So here Jesus is encouraging the church in Smyrna that they serve a God, and that they serve Jesus, who was victorious over death. He's communicating to them that death could not hold Jesus, and it cannot hold his people. He has some very tough things to tell the church, and so he's setting this up and encouraging them by letting them know who he is and how he has overcome death, and they, as they will come to find out. Okay, let's take a look at four things that Jesus wanted to communicate to the church in Smyrna to help them overcome the things that they were going to experience and the things uh, that were going to be happening and the terrible situation that they found themselves in. So the first thing he wanted to communicate to them and to us this morning is, I know. Verse 9, I know your works. In some translation it says that. Uh, it's not in the ESV. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander against you, and then it continues. There's a lot of powerful things that Jesus teaches us in this really short letter, but to me, too, the most powerful and comforting words that I came across were simply, I know. I know what's happening to you. I know. I see you. Right away, Jesus says, I know where you, to the church in spirit, I know where you dwell. I see you. I understand. I know what you are going through. I know it's tough. I know that people hate you. I know people abuse you. I know that people steal from you. I know your tribulations. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know the slander that you hear against you. You are not alone. I have not abandoned. I no. If there's one thing I want you to get this morning is that, that, that Jesus knows you. He knows your individual situation. He knows your struggles. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what's going to happen next week. And he sees and he's with you. The Spirit of Church here, man, it was, it was in a bad place, as we're going to see. But to hear those words... This affirmed what they had learned from the scriptures. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down 
and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind before and lay your hand upon me. Can you imagine what the comfort this would have brought to the, the church there? We still, when we go through a message like this, somehow we have to transport ourselves, you know, into that place of where this church is and the things that were going on. And I just can't imagine that when they got this letter and they heard those words, I know the comfort that it must have brought them. We find this truth also in other scriptures, affirming what Jeremiah knew about the Lord in Jeremiah 12, 3, he says, but you, O Lord, know me, and you see me, and you test my heart towards you. 1 Corinthians 8, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus begins to communicate what he knows. He says that, I know your tribulations. Jesus tells the church this. The Greek word for tribulation means uh, to be under a crushing weight. One explanation is like placing a boulder on a person so much that it would crush their chest. And so uh, when he uses a word like this and we dig into the description of it, and we understand the weight that was upon them, it was crushing. This is what the tribulation was saying. This is what they were experiencing. There was a constant pressure that never went away that was upon the Christians in Smyrna. Now, our best understanding from studying and reading up uh, on this is that, and what was going on with the church and what was going on with the Christians there, is that people were stealing from the believers there. They were considered a cult. The whole society was against them. Their homes were targets of raids. Um, their belongings were plundered. Their property was damaged. On and on it goes. And can you imagine, you know, a bunch of unbelievers, non-Christians, coming to your house, kicking in your front door, harassing you, taking your flat screen TV for the 14th time. This is what they had to deal with. Just because you went to church, just because you believed in Jesus as your Messiah. He goes on, not only do I know your tribulation and your poverty. And the word and here uh, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's a connecting word, a conjunction. And it's significant because it, it, it connects the two words tribulation and poverty, pro poverty, telling us why the tribulation was. Part of it was because of their poverty. Greek scholars say it explains and amplifies why they were feeling this enormous pressure. It was because of their poverty. And when we think of poverty, it wasn't just uh, living paycheck to paycheck, but the poverty here was complete, and it was devastating. It means to have absolutely nothing at all. As a matter of fact, the word used here is to describe birds that didn't have their own nest. And it was simply because they were Christians. They would not bow down to Caesar, and so they couldn't earn a living. And to make matters even worse, they were robbed of the things that they did have. But then Jesus, after telling he knows all of this, he tells them, and it's as if he grabs their face. You know, if, if you're a parent, if you ever had that, where you wanted just to tell your child how much you love them, or you really wanted them to pay attention, and you just cupped their face in your hands, your eyes, so that your eyes could meet, and so that you could speak to them. He just wanted to tell them that I know, and I know what's going on. He, and so what he does is he uses another word to pivot to what he wants to tell him. He uses another conjunction, the word but here. But you are rich. And the Greek word means abounding with more than a normal person has. It is enormous. It is more than what you could think. 
all this is going on in your life, and you may think that you are poor, but I'm telling you, in me, that you are rich. This is what Jesus thought of them. This is how, what Jesus saw of them. This is what he thought. This is what was important for him to communicate to these Christians, that he indeed saw them and he knew them and that they were rich. And when we translate something like this to our own lives, we have to understand that this is how Jesus sees us too. He sees us as rich. He sees us as his. He says to us, I know you. So they might have been poor in the eyes of, of the world, but they were rich in faith. James 2.5 says this, they were, which leads to salvation, excuse me. James 2.5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? You know, there's another church uh, that's talked about in these seven letters, and I want to compare it to the, the church in Laodicea. It says, in contrast, the Christians at Laodicea thought they were rich, they had material wealth, but Jesus said that they were really poor. This is how he describes them. He says, he called them, so they thought they had everything, that they were fine. He called them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so the Laodicea was this poor, rich church, and Smyrna was a rich poor church. I came across this phrase several times in my study. It says, better to be a rich poor church than a poor rich church. And so Jesus knows. He knows what their tribulation is. He knows their poverty, verse 9. And then he goes on to say, I know that you are being slandered. I know the things that they are saying to you and about you. Uh, they're being said to you by, 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 um, by Jews. Um, they are, and he says that they are the synagogue of Satan. So without going into what this was all about, without going into who they were, they really, in essence, were just pious Jews who hated Christianity. And they were jealous of them. They, people were coming to know Jesus. They were leaving them, and they were joining the Christians. So they were losing people to them. And so they slandered them. It would be like today, you know, reading slandering remarks on Facebook or, or Instagram. And, and the Greek word here is, is not so much just even slander, but it's blasphemy. So it, was, it takes it to a, another level of what they were saying about them. They were ver verbally abused. Um, they were bullied. They should have been banned from Facebook and, and, and Instagram. I mean, Right? So once again, and I just want to keep reaffirming this, Jesus is saying to the church in Smyrna, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander and the blasphemy against you. But know that you have so much more because of your faith in me. And as they will find out what that faith will get them, you are rich in me. And so this tells me that Jesus saw them and what is important for me is that he sees me and that he sees you. And so there's a question for you this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that even though you may not feel like it, do you believe that, that maybe you feel like you haven't heard from God, that he seems to be missing, that he sees you, and that he loves you? And you know, it's kind of easy to think when we're in the midst of something and something's going on uh, in our life, and, uh, and Jesus just seems to be missing. He doesn't seem to be there. Doesn't seem like he cares. What you should take from this is that he does, he knows, and he sees. So what are Jesus' next words to the, um, the church in Smyrna and for us? The next part, it continues. It's kind of sobering. Verse 10, first couple sentences there. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. So the first thing that he wanted to communicate to us was that he knows. The second 
is what he wants them to do. And number two is do not fear. Do not fear. And what's interesting when he says, do not be afraid, he then immediately says, what you are about to suffer. So he knows what's happening. He knows what's coming. And so he talks to him. He tells him, do not fear. Now, if you were the uh, Sumerians, I'm going to, I don't know if that's a true word or not, but I'm going to call them Sumerians. And you were reading this, you might have wanted him to just to kind of stop there. Like, whoever's reading this letter, that's, I mean, can we just stop at this point here? I mean, Jesus, I appreciate you sent us a letter. I appreciate it, that you know me. And I appreciate that you, you bring. And so he tells them, there's more to come. What you are about to suffer, he says. And the Greek here meaning that it's inevitable, that it's going to happen. And so what's going to happen? He says that some of you are going to be thrown into prison. And that the devil is behind it so that you may be tested. And so Jesus, understanding them and seeing them, understood that they would be afraid that, that anybody would be afraid. And say, what are you telling what? What's going to happen? You know this? Can't you do anything about it? You're going to be thrown into prison, and some are you going to be tested, and some even to the point of death, as we will find out. And so it's natural and normal to be afraid in situations like that. And Jesus wants them to look to him. He knows there is more to come for this faithful church. And he has assured them that he knows and that he sees and that he hasn't abandoned there. And there must be something about this church in Smyrna, something about them that they've lasted this long going through so much, and yet they are staying faithful. Now, the intent or the testing here uh, from the devil is that, that they would fail, that they would give up on Jesus that they would say no to him, that they would be destroyed, that they would turn their back on God. But Jesus has given them a heads up. Hang in there. Hang in there. I see if you've made it this far, don't fear. Don't be afraid. They must have believed like Romans 8.35, that nothing would separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so this letter to them from Jesus was to affirm them not to turn away, not to turn back, not to denounce, even though more things are coming down the road, but to double down and to trust him, and that he will give them a reason to trust they'll find in this letter. He wanted them ready to stand against what was coming their way. Now, we know as believers, or if you've been a Christian for, for a little while, you know that there's this connection between suffering and becoming more like Christ. Uh, suffering and $10,000 word sanctification, right? Okay. That God allows suffering to purify us, to make us more like Jesus. And the fact that is, is that in God's economy, as we are believers, we will have it. It's promised. But it's for a purpose for our good. It makes us more Christ-like, and that's what we want, right? To become more like him. I mean, Jesus said this, in the world you will have tribulation. In 2 Timothy 3, uh, in 12, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's kind of hard. Once again, you know, here we are in this beautiful church, and we're talking about things here, and, and uh, probably most of us, there may be some here, we really have not been persecuted for our faith. Maybe we got laughed at at some time, or maybe our family doesn't like us and don't invite us to Thanksgiving anymore. But, you know, we haven't ex experienced that. He said, though, that we will be persecuted. Peter wrote about this all over his, his epistles. He, he, his epistle, he said, uh, here's why. Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise 
and in glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he sums it all up in, in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 with this. He says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, the toughest persecution and when people go through persecution, has the effect of perfecting, of confirming, of strengthening, of establishing the church, the body of Christ. And we have found this. How many times have you heard, wow, the church over here, they've been um, persecuted. I wonder what's going on. And we find out how strong they are in the faith and that they are growing and the church is growing. It makes it strong. And so what the devil has planned for destruction uh, not only in, in Smyrna, but in our lives, okay? God turns it around to strengthen believers to be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. Sam Storm, in writing about this, said this, Suffering isn't designed by God to destroy our faith, but to intensify it. That will never happen, happen however, if we fail to look beyond the pain to the purpose of our loving Heavenly Father, his design is to knock out from underneath us every false prop that we might rely on, rely wholly on him. His aim is to create in such desperation that we have nowhere else to look but to his promises and abiding presence. Folks, difficulty is inevitable, isn't it, in our lives? There are, there are things that are, enter into our lives that we have absolutely no control over. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the weather, right? You, you don't have no control over the weather, but there's things that enter our life. And the question here is, how do we respond? And the lesson is not to turn to bitterness or, or to get mad at God or, or to doubt or to be angry when trials come our way or when things don't work out the way that we think they're supposed to work out. We don't know what God is doing in any particular situation, but he is indeed doing something. We are called to trust Jesus and his promises even when we can't see what is going on. Okay, you having fun, folks, so far? Isn't this just such an uplifting, encouraging, and you are just bustling with excitement. And so is the Church of Smyrna. They can't wait to, to hear, you know, what, what, what Jesus has to say to them. We should be asking them what they think about this, right? So the first thing he told them was what? I know. Remember, I know. Two, do not fear. The third thing Jesus wanted to tell the church in Smyrna is to be faithful. And how does he continue that verse? Be faithful unto death. I told you it was going to get better. But, and I will give you the crown of life. Let's read that whole verse to get the whole weight of this thing. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And so Jesus is sharing to them, I and mean, just think about hearing and reading this letter, that some of them were going to be thrown in prison. And when you're thrown in prison at this time, it wasn't to rehabilitate you. It was basically because you were going to trial or you were going uh, to be um, executed. Okay? He knew that some of them were going to die. And the reality is here, as one commentator pointed out, is that Jesus didn't do anything to prevent it. In this particular situation, he chose not to intervene. And in this case, he told them that some weren't going to make it. Man, how sobering. How heavy that might be. Now, the word faithful in the Greek here means an urgent command for continual action. He's telling them, keep going, keep going, 
Keep believing. Keep having faith. Be faithful. Be faithful. I know. I see. I know what's going on. Jesus tells us how far he was asking the church to carry on their faith through everything that they were, were going through. He's telling them, some of you are going to die for your faith. Now, we have to go there, don't we, right? You have to go there. You have to put yourselves in that situation. And you have to grapple with the question, what would I do? How would I handle this? How would I act if I lived there in Smyrna? And some of the people I went to church with were hauled off to prison and they were killed. What would I think about God? How would I count the cost to continue to follow Jesus? Would I? Would you? But Jesus doesn't stop there. No, God's vision for us, for the body of Christ, moves beyond this temporal earth. We live for a much greater life, a much greater reward than anything that we could get here. Jesus tells us, I know, do not fear, be faithful, all leading up to this fourth thing that he tells us in the church of Smear, because I will give you life, the crown of life. The last part of, of verse 10 says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What is the crown of life here in this context? It's eternal life. All that is the promise of heaven, he gives. Jesus knows their situation. He says, be faithful through all the tribulations, the poverty, the slander, for what you are about to suffer, whatever it might be, and I will give you the crown of life. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, you know, about not losing heart, to hang in there, to stay there. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. The comparison there, interesting, right? Is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As they begin to read the last parts of this letter, I can imagine that they're going, okay, there's something so much greater than this stinking world that we're in right now. This place where I can't even, I, I just hate waking up in the morning because I don't know what is gonna happen to me. Jesus is speaking directly to me. Jesus is speaking directly to us. I have something good and great and wonderful for you. How does Jesus wrap this up? Like he does in each of the letters to the different churches here. He implores us to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, Jesus says, okay now, I want you to sit up. I know this has been a lot of tough things for you. I want you to sit up and I want you to listen. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers or the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And so we're just going to go through this uh, pretty quickly here. We're going to need to get going. But there's two deaths in Scripture. The first, that happens to all of us. We all die, right? We're all going to die at the end of our lives, earthly death, um, life here. The second listen carefully here, is now is for those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who will be judged when Jesus returns. In a very simplified manner, the second death is to be separated from God from all of eternity in hell. That in a manner of speaking is the second death. If you are not a Christ follower, this is what awaits. It's sobering. It's sobering. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you after service to come up here. I'd love to talk to you. There'll be some other people here. And if you want to explore what it looks like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that you will not go through that second death and be eternally separated 
for all of eternity from God. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk. By the way, if you were to kind of go through Revelation, especially like uh, 20, 21, so three or four times, it talks about the second death. All right, let's close this up here. Remember when I said this message wrecked me? Well, as I was preparing, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to give this message. Uh, Nick, you, you guys can go ahead and come up if you want. I'm going to give uh, this message in this nice church uh, with my friends, people that I love, some of my family. Afterwards, I'm probably going to have some conversations, uh, probably play with my granddaughter a little bit, um, eventually walk out to my, to my car, and drive home to my house, talk to Aaron about what we're going to do for lunch, what we're going to do for dinner, um, maybe go for a bike ride, chill out a little bit, maybe, you know, watch a little show before I go to bed, knowing that, you know, I'm okay, I'm not starving. I'm not being persecuted. I'm really okay. And so this, it just wrecked me just from the things that we have been reading recently, the things that have been going on to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and other parts of the world. Recent events, they are experiencing what the church in Smyrna experienced today in 2021. They have been persecuted. They've lost jobs, they've been killed, they've been threatened, their families are being hurt because they love Jesus. So what's our role here? Once again, I'm, I hope you do understand, I'm not dismissing things that are going on in your life, but right, I'm putting it into perspective being persecuted for our faith. What's our role? You know what I think our role is? I think our role is that we pray. We pray for our brothers and sisters. We are linked together with them through Jesus. We are in, uh, grafted into the same vine. We are all a part of one another. It doesn't matter what language they speak. They speak the language of the Holy Spirit. We are one with them. And right now, we're not experiencing what they experience. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray for them. And I want us to pray for them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud as the Lord leads for the church in Afghanistan or another place that might be on your heart. You know, I have a report here, um, you know, from Afghan Christians and, and they're saying they pledge to continue God's work in Afghanistan. And this was written a couple of weeks ago. And he says, you know, this is a, an Afghan Christian. He's pleading for Christians across the world to not forget the underground church in Afghanistan. Can you imagine yourself being back in like the time of Smyrna and, and maybe there's, there's Christians somewhere else in there, although all of those guys were being persecuted, but just imagine, okay. And, and, and they're, they're praying for their brothers and says he's pleading for other Christians across the world to not forget the underground church in Afghanistan. He said that I, I, I don't know what the future of this country will be. The Afghan Christian, whose identity was hidden, obviously, for security reasons, said, we are not able to control our emotions because we've worked so hard for 20 years. All of our work over these years has been lost overnight. But listen to this. But we are not leaving. We will fight harder and we will continue God's work. And we know from reports, and, and, and for a lot of us, there are different connections that we have. We know that there is suffering going on. We know that there is targeting going. Right after this happened, Christians were getting phone calls from the Taliban. They know who they are, some of them are. And so this was happening. They're already receiving threatening um, threats. Let's do that. Let's unite as the body of Christ this morning here at 5400 Lingworth Road. Let's connect our hearts and our spirits with the Afghan church, those that are in hiding, with other countries, uh, Christians where they are hiding, where they can't let it be known that they are a Christian. So um, let's go ahead. I wanna, I wanna open it up for anybody to go ahead and to pray and let's join.
Speak loudly. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would send the safety of the Father to our brothers and sisters, that you would fill them with the power of your Spirit to know that you know, to know that you are there and to know that they have an eternal glory that awaits them. Would you, would you manifest the person of Jesus Christ within them so that they would feel encouraged and strengthened and loved in Jesus' name.
church i know we can continue and keep praying take this home with you don't tell it stay here because we prayed here there's as of last year or something i can't remember completely but there's like 400 christians a month are killed for their faith around the world and my numbers might be off but even if it was one right 400 Take this to your dinner table. Take this to your quiet times. Take this time for the Lord. Pray with your family. Pray with each other. Pray for one another and pray for the body of Christ. Amen? All right. Let's lift up our voices and give praise to the King of Kings. <laughs> 